folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, I'm going to dive into a recent report uh, from someone actually on the Ubuntu discourse that they found that uh, GPG signatures of some of the old 16.04 ISOs were suddenly reporting that they were now uh, not validating properly. And yeah, it sounded quite scary. So yeah, we dug into that one and it turns out uh, it was all, all all right. But yeah, we will dive into that in a bit. But uh, before that, let's do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. So this week, uh, there were 58 unique CVEs addressed by the team. We had updates for things like CUPS and Avahi, the Linux kernel, um, FRR, uh, Python Go, and more. So let's just dive straight into those. As I say, the first one up was uh, CUPS, a single CVE here uh, that goes all the way back to 1604 uh, ESM, uh, plus 1804 ESM, the LTS releases since, and the interim releases. Uh, in this case, it was a heap buffer overflow that could be triggered when printing of debug messages. Now, uh, you apparently needed uh, to have the log level set as debug within your cupsd.conf, uh, which is not usually the case. So this one isn't sort of triggerable out of the box, but if you had enabled that, it would be possible uh, for that to be triggered potentially by an unprivileged user. So that one has now been fixed. Uh, being a heat buffer overflow, the kind of thing where you could potentially get code execution as uh, cupsd, the cups daemon, or you know, at least crash it. But yeah, that has been fixed. Uh, Avahi was updated. Uh, this goes back to 2004 LTS uh, and those since. In this case, it was a uh, again a single vulnerability here, uh, a possible null pointer dereference that could therefore trigger a crash and denial of service uh, if Avahi was called uh, with an unknown service name. And this was actually found uh, via an upstream project called Dfuzzer, which is a fuzzer for dbus services. Looks like this is getting a bit of a, a run uh, recently. Actually, one of the uh, members on our team, uh, Mark Esler, pointed this out recently. And I myself was actually looking into it uh, to debug some cra a crash in uh, an application that I maintain that some said yeah it could be crashed through uh, dbus so yeah a uh, cool thing dfuzzer if you're into fuzzing things over dbus uh, go check that one out uh, after that, uh, we had kernel updates. So thanks as always to the kernel team for these. Uh, four CVEs went into uh, the first of these, and this is uh, for our 4.15 based kernel that is in uh, 18.04, now ESM. And this is for essentially all the kernel flavors there basically. So generic, virtual, low latency, uh, KVM, AWS, Snapdragon, Azure, GCP, and Oracle. Uh, they were all updated as well as uh, essentially the same set for 16.04 ESM because that's used as the hardware enablement kernel there now, that 4.15 one for 16.04. Uh, and back on 14.04, uh, that is used for uh, the, a couple of different Azure-specific kernels. Uh, in this case, let's say four different vulnerabilities, uh, all of these high priority, uh, two of them I've talked about previously, actually back in last week's episode. So one was a race condition uh, that could lead to a use after free and therefore privilege escalation via net filter. And the other one uh, was mishandling of control registers for nested guests in KVM. Now the first of those could actually be triggered uh, by an unprivileged user through an unprivileged user namespace. And uh, that's also similar to another one that uh, we saw this week, which was uh, an out-of-bounds write in the network queuing scheduler. Again, an unprivileged user could create an unprivileged user namespace and trigger this one as well. Uh, so yeah, it's really looking to be uh, quite the avenue for exploiting uh, kernel vulnerabilities. And yeah, we've talked about this on previous episodes, but yeah, the uh, security team, and in particular the AppArmor team within that have been looking at this, trying to sort of lock down unprivileged user namespaces. So hopefully we can get that all to land in time for 
or uh, the 2310 release. Uh, but yeah, talk more about that in future episodes. Uh, the other one here was an out-of-bounds read in the USB handling code for the Broadcom full Mac uh, USB Wi-Fi driver. So in this case, it would require an attacker to create a malicious USB device and then insert that into your machine to be able to trigger this. Uh, so it's not the kind of thing that you know could uh, be you know, a remotely accessible attack or something. But uh, I will point out uh, there is a great tool for dealing with vulnerabilities like this uh, called USB Guard, where you can uh, configure it to essentially you know lock down your USB ports and not allow new devices and either uh, you know sort of essentially deny them or block them by default so yeah if you haven't looked into that uh you know check that out and actually i, I think probably should talk about that in a future episode uh but moving on we had then kernel update for our 5.15 based kernel in uh 20 to 10 uh the interim release and this is then used as the hardware enablement kernel in uh 2204 and 2004 lts uh, and this, uh, same for vulnerabilities I just mentioned, plus uh, race condition in uh, the ShiftFS file system. And that could lead to uh, deadlock within the kernel and therefore a denial of service. Uh, similarly, the same uh, five vulnerabilities were updated for our 5.15 based kernel in uh, Azure uh, Confidential uh, Virtual Machines. Uh, that is on 22.04 and 20.04 LTS. Similarly, again, the 5.4 based kernel that's used in uh, 20.04 LTS, so as the sort of GA kernel there. And it's also used as a hardware enablement kernel on 18.04, now ESM. Again, same five vulnerabilities. Uh, moving on, again, another 5.4 kernel updated for uh, the uh, Bluefield platform. Uh, that one rolled in 13 different CVEs. So, you know, that same set plus a bunch more that we've mentioned uh, previously and uh, we had updates then for the intel iotg platform on both 2204 and 2004 lts uh, heap of different vulnerabilities rolled into those but yeah most of those i've talked about before as well all right so moving on from kernel updates we then had an update for Perl, and again i've actually talked about this one before back in last week's episode i talked about this uh, so if you want to know more about that go check that out but in this case yeah it was failing to properly validate tls certs when uh, using CPAN, so the Perl kind of module repository, uh, using HTTP Tiny to access that. And yeah, you know, I had some yeah, strong words to say about HTTP Tiny, and I still stand by that. So yeah, go listen to that if you didn't hear it. Uh, then we updated uh, FOR, the uh, routing daemon, uh, which, you know, the successor to Quagga. It implements things like BGP and OSPF, RIP, and uh, other kind of routing protocols. In this case, two issues in uh, BGP handling, both of them out-of-bounds reads due to failing to use the right lengths when reading various packet structures uh, and, yeah, being written in C. You know, not too surprising that we see these kind of things. Uh, what else? Libraw was updated for a heat buffer overflow and a stack buffer overflow as well. That goes all the way back to 2004 LTS and the releases since. I should note the stack buffer overflow here is mitigated by a stack protector and other protections that we put in Ubuntu. So cool to see some of our hardening protections you know, paying off there. Uh, LibSSH was updated. Uh, there's a null pointer dereference that could be triggered during rekeying from an authenticated client. So then they could trigger denial of service. And it was also possible that a client could potentially have uh, its signature fail to be properly verified if during uh, the verification process there was uh, a memory error. So basically, you know, if you run out of memory or if you're able to be under memory pressure and it fails to allocate memory, it would end up in an error state, fall through, but then actually end up saying that the signature was okay, even though it hadn't you know, necessarily gone on and validated that. So that was fixed as well. 
what else? Python was updated uh, for single vulnerability uh, that I talked about back in episode 191. Uh, essentially, the upstream fix for that uh, was incomplete. They realized that there were other ways that that could be got around. And so, you know, this is now the real, hopefully, final fix for that one. And that goes all the way back to 14.04 ESM and every release since. Then we updated Go. So for eight different CVEs here, uh, most of these were various content injection issues uh, in the handling of either JavaScript or uh, CSS or HTML templates uh, within Go, and failed to basically. Basically, it failed to properly parse various delimiting elements for that, things like you know, back ticks in uh, JavaScript embedded code and that kind of thing. Uh, so they've been updated as well as uh, a couple of different denial of services that could be triggered against uh, Go because you could essentially trigger a panic due to uh, mishandling of memory under certain conditions. Then we had an update for XFCE for settings. This is uh, kind of the you know, settings, I guess, back end for uh, XFCE. So if you're running uh, Zubuntu, you may, uh, you know, you're probably running this, and this is for 22.04 LTS and 22.10. In this case, uh, the back end MIME helper failed to properly parse input. Now, uh, this is called through XDG Open, and XDG Open is kind of like the universal utility that's used to you know, spawn, I don't know, like uh, your browser if you throw a link at it, or uh, your email client if you throw a mail to URL at, uh, URI at it, or uh, the help browser if you do a help colon slash slash URI at it, or I don't know, maybe even say the package manager if you do an apt colon slash slash or a snap colon slash slash URL at it, it will then throw up that. Uh, in this case, if you called, uh, say, XDG open with a URL and then dash dash, uh, you know, some arguments, it would then, say, launch the browser with those extra arguments. Now, that is an issue because, say, in the case of Firefox, you can then, say, specify the remote allow origins uh, flag and then, uh, say, you know, put in your own attacker controlled, uh, you know, server or URL to that. Uh, Firefox would then run allowing that attacker controlled URL to connect back to its local debugging port and therefore hence execute arbitrary JavaScript on any other domain. And you can then imagine if you can execute arbitrary JavaScript on someone else's domain, you can steal creds that users typing into there or whatever it might be. Uh, so yeah, you know, an interesting little vulnerability there you know, due to, I guess, mishandling in uh, some low-level component that then ends up being able to trigger you know, something a lot uh, more, uh, I guess, sensitive in higher-level components like the browser or whatever. And you can imagine, you know, in this case, you could trigger that through, say, embedding a link in a PDF or something like that so that when the user clicks it, you know, then launches their browser with these arbitrary parameters. So, yeah, uh, I just thought that was an interesting one there to look at. We had an update for uh, ng-htdp2. This is a C library for handling of HTTP. Two, not surprisingly, uh, in this case, an overly large settings frame would cause a CPU-based denial of service. So you can essentially send a heap of you know really large settings frames at whatever client or server is using this uh, as its underlying library for handling HTTP two, and therefore cause it uh, denial of service. In this case, they did just a simple mitigation by uh, setting a max size limit for settings frames and rejecting any if they were too large. And again, that goes all the way back to uh, six hundred four ESM. Firefox was updated for our 24 LTS release for uh, four different CVEs. That is the latest uh, 114.0 release from upstream Firefox. Uh, LibreOffice was updated for a couple CVEs, uh, an array index underflow uh, that could be triggered in handling of crafted formulas in Calc. That's the uh, spreadsheet application in LibreOffice leading to a memory corruption and therefore possible remote code execution if you can have a document with the right, uh, or you know, a spreadsheet, should I say, with the right formulas embedded in it. 
and also it failed to prompt the user before loading a document uh, into an iframe. Essentially, you can have a document that contains other elements like a JavaScript or whatnot that get fetched over the internet and then executed. So you know, if that happens, then the user is running essentially untrusted input into uh, their document. It's yeah, not a great thing, so they've both been fixed. And finally, we had an update for libxml2, three different CVEs for our 2304 release, uh, the Luna Lobster. Uh, I think these were fixed previously for our other releases, so this one just rolls it out to Luna. Uh, two of these were null pointer references and a possible double free, all of those being able to be triggered through uh, crafted XML documents, you know, the impact being therefore denial of service or possible uh, remote code execution as a result. And that is it for the week in security updates. Okay, so like I mentioned at the start, the other thing that I wanted to talk about this week was uh, a recent report that we had through the Ubuntu discourse about uh, the GPG signatures for our 16.04 ISOs failing to verify. Uh, essentially, in this case, a user reported that the SHA-256 sums file for the 16.04 ISOs on old releases.ubuntu.com uh, failed to properly validate. Now, it sounds scary. You know, they sort of said, has the server been hacked? Has the ISOs been replaced? You know, what's going on here? And yeah, you know, look, looking at that on the surface of it, it's like, oh no, you know, this, this isn't the kind of thing we want to see. And so it's a bit like apt. You know, if we talk about how ISOs and signing works, we don't actually sign the ISO files directly. Instead, we take a hash of the ISO. So we run, say, SHA-256 sums on the ISO file. Then we dump all those um, hashes into a file and then we sign that file. And that is done uh, really for performance, basically, because it's a lot easier or a lot faster to do a SHA-256 sum of something and then a uh, cryptographic uh, signing of just that small file that just contains that rather than trying to do a cryptographic signing or verification of like a 4-gig ISO or something. Uh, so yeah, uh, in this case, that SHA-256 sums file didn't validate anymore. And I guess the other thing to note is that uh, this actual report wasn't made in a new topic. It was actually done as a follow-up comment uh, to a previous topic where it said uh, the title was, is Ubuntu vulnerable to fake keys? Essentially, in that case, a user is reporting that they can upload uh, or they can generate their own key that you know appears to look like, say, the archive signing key or the CD image signing key upload that to the key server and then you know anyone can then say fetch that down and try to validate the, uh, say the, the shard 56 sums file in this case and it will fail to validate. Now that's kind of normal because yeah anyone can generate an arbitrary key with your know, arbitrary identifiers so they can make one that appears to have say the same email address and name as the you know the archive signing key or the CD image signing key in this case but uh it won't be the same key because it won't have uh, the same underlying cryptographic properties and the way that you you know you validate a key to be correct is you have to actually look at the cryptographic fingerprint of it and so it, when you do validate say a SHA-256 uh, sums uh, file in this case it's always important that you make sure you're using the right keys and so I guess the first thing that occurred to me is maybe this person is using the wrong keys particularly because they've posted it as a follow-up to this however uh, we do list the correct keys and the correct fingerprints for them on uh, the uh, security team wiki I've got a link to that in the show notes if you want to go and look uh, plus we actually have those keys, uh, the public keys for those contained within uh, the uh, Ubuntu archive keyring uh, that's installed on all Ubuntu machines by default. So user share keyrings Ubuntu archive keyring.gpg contains that and that comes in the Ubuntu keyring package. And so you can easily verify that locally using just that keyring file. You don't need to go and you know, try to fetch down the right keys from the key server. You can, I've, and again, I've got links to that in the show notes, but you know, gpg verify and then you specify the keyring file as that and you know, tell it uh, what to do. And yeah, it would come back and tell you that the signature was invalid. Now, you know, so far, so scary. It really does look like the SHA-256 sums file has been modified to now not uh, validate anymore. But 
if we look closer, we can actually kind of see what's going on here. Uh, looking at the signature that is uh, printed out when we actually run that GPG command, you see that the signature is made on Friday the 1st of March 2019, or at least for me in uh, you know Australia, that's my time zone, or Thursday the 28th of February, as it would have been, 2018, which corresponds with the date of the 16.04.6 point release. And so, you know, that kind of makes sense. However, there was actually one more point release done for Xenial or 16.04, which was 16.04.7. And that was actually done in uh, August of 2020. And that was done after the various boothole vulnerabilities in Grub. And uh, if you want to know more about that, go listen back to episode 84. But basically, you know, we had to respin Grub and therefore respin a heap of uh, ISOs as a result. And so it looks like what's happened here is just that we've updated the ISOs, we've updated the SHA-256 sums file, but we've not gone and updated uh, the signature file that goes along with that. And so uh, Mark Delorier on our team went looking around and sort of realized all this and went and asked uh, Steve Langesek or Volon from the foundations team to confirm that. And yep, he said, yep, that's the case. Yes, we did generate ISOs, obviously, and we uploaded those with the uh, shard sums files and the rest, but we didn't generate new signatures. So uh, yes, Steve has gone and rerun those signatures. They've now been generated. They've been pushed to the server. And yeah, we can now ver validate that as correct. And actually, you'll now see that the signature was created uh, you know, today, basically. Yeah. So either Thursday, the 8th of June, or in my case, Friday the 9th to June where I am so yeah all good uh, I guess nothing was you know tampered with it's more just a I guess a failure in process that we didn't update the signatures so you know thank you in, in particular to this anonymous user on discourse for pointing this out and bringing it to our attention but yeah that has now been updated all right so that takes us to the end of this week's episode if you've got any feedback you want to give us or I guess anything else you want to bring to our attention like our anonymous user did uh, you can contact us at security.ubuntu.com. Uh, we do hang out in the Ubuntu security on libero.chat. There is the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com or we are on Mastodon at Ubuntu security at fosterdon.org there as well. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.